Hello and welcome to the Beef Edge, the Chagas Beef Podcast, for all your latest news, information and advice for Irish beef farmers. I'm Catherine Egan and on this episode, I'm joined by Dr Orla Keane, researcher at Chagas Grange, to discuss antihelminthic use on beef farms. I first asked Orla, what are the main parasites farmers should be aware of on farms at the moment? The two main challenges that will be out there at the moment will be the gut worms and lung worm. So when calves are turned out to grass, they have no immunity to either of these worms and they pick them up from grazing grass. Now, because the parasites cycle through young, naive animals, they build up during the grazing season. So generally, they're a greater problem in the second half of the season, but um, they can become a problem from now on and farmers do need to be aware of them from now on. Now, they will affect different types of animals differently. So in general, uh, there'll be a greater problem in the dairy cross calves than the suckler calves, um, because for the dairy cross calves, grass will be a much greater part of their diet. And quite often, and what we've seen in Grange is quite often with the suckler calves, the gut worms don't tend to be um, an issue necessarily in the first grazing season. And if they are, it's only towards the end of the season season when grass is a a more... um, significant proportion of their dry matter intake and the levels on pasture are quite high. The risk period for the dairy cross calves will start a bit earlier. Then in the second grazing season, that that can switch a little bit. If the dairy cross calves get sufficient exposure in their first grazing season, they should build up um, good immunity and they should have um, reasonable levels of immunity going into their second year, whereas the suckler calves then, um, as as the yearlings then, might be a little bit more uh, susceptible in their second year. In terms of lungworm, which would be the other major challenge, that that can be quite unpredictable and... and, um, you know, beef calves of any type can be susceptible. Generally, it also tends to be a problem later in the season, in the second half of the grazing season from July onwards. But we do see cases earlier. Occasionally, we've seen cases as early as May. So it is something always to be very uh, vigilant about. It is much more unpredictable. You mentioned gut worms there. What are the indicators that there's an issue on farm? Um, So I suppose for you know, it's it's probably well known or the, the, the sign that people are, are well aware of would be things like scour. But in, in reality, it's the subclinical disease that's much more common because the gut worms suppress appetite. Uh, they result in reduced feed intake and then refuse, uh, reduced weight gain. So two of the main indicators that we would use here to monitor for gut worm infection are um, average daily gain and then we also use faecal egg count. So if calves are thriving and hitting their targets, then it's unlikely that gut worms are a significant problem. Um, and then, as I mentioned, the other indicator is faecal egg counts. So that counts the number of worm eggs in the dung, and we use that to estimate how many worms are present in the gut. So when the faecal egg count reaches about 200 eggs per gram or, or higher, that's usually the point um, about which we start thinking about treatment and that treatment is warranted. And if farmers want to take a faecal egg sample, how did they go about that? Um, yeah, so farmers want to take faecal samples. Um, so there's a few different ways that you can do it, but probably one of the simplest ways to do it is um, we'd recommend they contact the labs in advance to make sure they have the sampling pack and everything that they need. But if you just go out into the field and just walk among them, um, 
generally you'll see them as they lift the tail and as they defecate then pick up fresh samples uh, we'd say um, one sample so take put for each animal put the sample in a separate pot and those samples may be mixed then in the lab to generate a, a pooled count so when you collect the sample uh, you want to get them sent off to the lab as quickly as possible the eggs can hatch um, if you leave them too long. So ideally, you know, take them early in the week, maybe take them on a Monday and try and put them in the um, post as soon as possible. If you can't put them in the post, then maybe put them in the fridge to stop the eggs from hatching. And Orla, what would be possible control options and treatment for gut worms? So I suppose like a lot of different diseases, uh, we, all, we know that prevention is better than cure. So the best strategies really if, uh, are to prevent young stock from becoming infected as much as you can. Um, so that's really about managing your grazing. Uh, so keeping the cleanest grazing, so that's least contaminated with, wor with worms, keeping that for the most naive stock. So that's uh, clean grazing would be things like reseeded ground, silage aftermath, which people, people might have at the moment, or any ground that hasn't been grazed by young stock in the last six months or so. Things like leader follower systems, where you've got um, younger stock grazing ahead of older stock, mixed grazing with sheep, um, and not overgrazing, are all ways to reduce the challenge. Um, now, of course, in, in grazing systems like Ireland, it can't be, it's not always possible to have clean grazing and to entirely manage the parasite and worm burden using clean grazing. So in those cases, we're looking at antelminthic treatments or wormers. Are current dry conditions resulting in an increased burden on farms at the moment? Um, so... I, I would suspect that the current dry conditions and certainly what we're seeing on on um, on our own on our own farms is that actually the current dry conditions will reduce the worm burden. So um, these when the when the eggs are passed out in the dung, they hatch into larvae in the dung, and then the larvae migrate out of the dung onto the grass, and then they migrate up the grass to be eaten. But when they move, when they migrate, they migrate in water. So they need, they like wet, warm conditions. So they need uh, the water to get out of the dung and they need it to move up and down the grass. So generally what you'll find is when you've got a prolonged dry period, at, um, at least in the, at least around, around Grange anyway, it's been very dry. When you have a prolonged dry spell, the larvae can't get out of the dung and those that are in the, the, uh, in the soil or the bottom of the grass can't move up the grass to be eaten. So what we tend to find is that in dry conditions, the worm burden stays low. However, the one thing to be aware of there is that when rain comes, and particularly if, you've, if you have a nice bit of rain, a good bit of rain, um, and that softens up the dung, that will allow the larvae to get out of the dung onto the grass. And so uh, it will then, they will then start to be taken in, and you might see maybe three weeks after um, some rain, you might see then the um, egg counts go substantially higher. So when, if you have a prolonged dry spell, it's, it's a couple of weeks after the rain is uh, when you really want to start paying attention. Something farmers need to be aware of when the rain does come. Something, yeah, absolutely. A number of farmers in the past week have noticed that spring-born calves are doing a lot of coughing. What could be causing that at the moment? Yeah, so I suppose there's a number of different respiratory diseases that can lead to coughing in, ter in terms of parasites and, and one, one of the major issues can be lungworm. Now, it, it is 
quite early for lungworm. Generally, it tends to be an issue in the second half of the season. However, it can be an issue earlier, and it can particularly be an issue um, where you have, if you if you have, um, you know, young stock um, being turned out in dribs or drabs, and that, and they're following slightly older stock because the um, the first calves turned out will be very naive. The parasite can start to cycle through them, and then as other calves come behind them, they can, they can pick those. Um, that burden up. So we do sometimes see it earlier. In general, we don't. But I suppose the thing about lungworm is it is so um, it's so pathogenic that it is something you have to be very very uh, careful about, and probably and um, you can't take too many risks with it. And what type of product would you be recommending for farmers that had an issue with lungworms on their farm? Um, okay, so the. The products that are used to treat for lungworms, they're the same products that we use to treat for stomach worms. So these are um, anthelmintics. Now, so that, therefore, you know, when you're treating for one, you're inadvertently treating for the other. So if you're given an anthelmintic for lungworm, it's the same product as you would use for the stomach worms. Now, there's a lot of different products on the market, but they all fall into one of three classes. So we have the white wormers, the yellow wormers, or the clear wormers. And um, so despite the large number of products, they'll all belong to one of those three classes. Um, so all of those products, the white, the yellow, or the clear, they will all be effective against, um, against lungworm. But it is important to remember that all the products in the same class have a similar mode of action in terms of how they kill the parasite. So what this means is if you have resistance to one product in a class, then other products in the same class are likely to be affected. So anyone who does switch products, it's important that you switch the class, not just the product. However, in terms of lungworm, we have very few reports of resistance to any of the products out there to date. So um, we can assume that most of the products uh, will be effective against lungworm. So the main thing would be to focus on the class of the product and not exactly the name. Exactly. Yes. Focus on the class of the product. What uh, what type of um, wormer it is? Is it a white wormer, which are the benzamidazoles, a yellow wormer, levamazole, or the clear wormers, which are uh, the macrocyclic lactones? So your ivermectin, moxidectin, uh, doramectin type products. And what do you think the key things that farmers need to consider before administering any dosing product to stock would be? So there are a number of things that farmers should be considering when they're thinking about dosing. So the first question they need to ask is, is this treatment warranted? And we know from some of the research that we've done that there are anthelmintic treatments being given when there is very little or, or a very low worm burden present. And in that case, the, the treatment was really unnecessary. So that's the first question. The next question we would ask is, what parasite are you trying to target? Because that will determine what product you want to use. So for example, if you're at this time of year trying to target maybe um, the stomach worms, then you want to use a product that is effective against stomach worms, a product preferably that you know is effective on your farm uh, by testing. But a product that's effective against only stomach worms. So, for example, we would say that, you know, not to use a combination flucoside and a wormer if you're only targeting worms. Um, then the other thing to really uh, um, take into account is that they need to administer the right um, amount in the correct way. So every product has a recommended dose weight dose rate for the body weight of the animal to be treated. So farmers need to ask what is the weight of the animals, uh, what is the weight of the heaviest animal 
and then dose the group with the weight of the heaviest animal. And if insufficient um, quantity of the drug is given, then this results in underdosing and it can lead to the development of resistance. They also need to administer the product as per the manufacturer's instructions. I think this is something that came to light last year in relation to farmers that were participating in the BEEP scheme. The difference in what they thought the animal weighed and the actual weight really came to light. Absolutely, yeah. And there would be some research that would show that, um, you know, when people are asked to estimate the weight of animals, they tend to underestimate. They can underestimate by quite a substantial amount, particularly for for, uh, larger animals. So it is very important uh, to make sure that you're not underdosing, because as I mentioned, that's a risk factor for the development um, of antimythic resistance. So you really want to weigh the animals and then dose the entire group Uh, to the weight of the heaviest animal or dose each animal to its own um, its own dose rate but but it's probably more practical to dose the group to the weight of the heaviest animal. Antelmintic resistance has been identified on a number of sheep farms what does that mean for beef farmers? Yeah, so antelmintic resistance has been detected for a number of years now in sheep farms, and this is something that the sheep industry has been very aware of uh, for for a number of years. However, um, it's not restricted to just the sheep industry, and it is an issue for the cattle industry as well. So resistance has been found in recent years on cattle farms in Ireland. And in particular, the level of resistance among the gut worms to the macrocyclic lactone antelmintic. So these are ivermectin and the related products like doramectin, abamectin, moxidectin. The resistance on cattle farms to those products was very, very high. Um, There was also resistance detected to the other two products, the the other two classes, the white uh, drenches and the yellow drenches. Now, the resistance profile did vary from farm to farm, but the high level of ivermectin resistance was a concern. So um, the study that we did showed that every farm we tested, we found ivermectin resistance on. So it is no longer an issue that is just um, restricted to, to sheep farms. And how was the resistance detected on the farms? So we detect resistance using a test called a faecal egg count reduction test. So what we do is we collect uh, faecal samples from the calves before treatment and again after treatment. And we count the eggs present before and after treatment. And we can then calculate the reduction in the egg count that is due to the treatment. So if the treatment reduces the egg count by 95% or more, therefore it's it's uh, killed most or all of the worms, then we say the treatment is effective. But if the reduction in the egg count is less than 95%, then not all the worms are killed and uh, there is evidence of resistance. Now, doing a faecal egg count reduction test is, is quite an involved process and there are certain considerations that need to be taken into account. So I think if anyone is interested in testing uh, for resistance on their farm, they really should contact their vet or advisor about how to go about that and, and making sure it is done in the best possible way. That's great, Orla. You're one of the panellists on the Chagas Beef Virtual Week on Monday the 6th of July. Where do you see the future of antelmintic use in the suckler herd? Yes, I just outlined there, Catherine. I mean, antelmintic resistance is a major challenge facing the industry. So, um, you know, we have these classes of products available to us. Uh, We've found resistance to all three of them um, in in farms in Ireland. So that is a major challenge for the industry. 
Um, the other thing is that there is a new uh, EU veterinary medicine regulation that has to be transposed into Irish law by 2022. And as part of that regulation, it is envisaged that antiparasitic medicines will move um, to a veterinary prescription route of supply. So I think there are a number of uh, challenges for the um, industry in terms of antimenthic use. And we will be discussing these in more detail during uh, the Grange Beef um, Open Week. So if anyone's interested in more, uh, hearing more, I recommend that they tune in on July 6th. Some very interesting changes that farmers need to be aware of in relation to future EU regulations. Thanks Orla for joining me on the show. Thanks very much, Catherine. Chagas will host a virtual Beef Week from Monday the 6th to Friday the 10th of July for further details, keep an eye on the Chagas website, Facebook and Twitter pages. That's all for this episode and my thanks to Orla for joining me on the show. You can catch up on all other shows and interviews from the Beef Edge podcast on the Chagas website at chagas.ie or you can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe so you never miss a show. For all other updates from our Beef programme, keep an eye on our Twitter and Facebook pages. Until next time, I'm Catherine Egan and thanks for listening.